0: When the door-to-door salesman comes around and knocks on the door, he doesn't ask if the man of the house is there. He wants to know if the lady of the house is there. Because he'll lay some sob story on her about his kids are starving. If he doesn't sell so many vacuum cleaners or whatever he's selling, he's going to lose his job and his kids will be hungry. And sometimes I think they play on ladies' emotions. And all a man thinks about is how much it's going to cost. You know, what's the bottom line of this thing? And that, I realize that's an extreme illustration of that situation, but it is a fact that the salesman asked for the lady of the house. They think they'll do better with them. But it goes back to that in verse number 18. And then husbands, love your wives, be not bitter against them. And I talked about the poochy lip, How that men sometimes get poochy-lipped if their wife doesn't do exactly what they want. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, provoke not your children. Servants, obey in all uh, things. That's the idea of, of being an employee. We're sub- Christians ought to be the best employees that a company has. Uh, we ought to be on time. We ought to be there. I, You know, I grew up with the idea that if you had a job, you were happy to have a job. You were glad to have a job and you couldn't wait to get there because not necessarily if you love the job or not, you love the paycheck you got uh, at the end of the week or two weeks, whatever it was. But As Christians, we ought to have the right attitude about work. If work's a drudgery and you hate it and can barely drag yourself there, do everybody a favor and quit. Find something else to do. Uh, But our job ought to be enjoyable. And uh, the Bible says, "What serve you do? Verse 23, Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Why? Knowing that God's the one who will reward me for doing those things. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There's no respect of persons. Masters as we started off a minute ago. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. And the master is the boss man. He's the one who leads things. Uh, the realization is that our faith has to be real enough to affect every area of our life. Every area. Family, friends, the workplace, uh, every single personal relationship should be evidenced by the fact that we have, what, been with Jesus. We're supposed to be new creations, new creatures in Christ, Second, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So our, our appearance, our activity on the job site ought to be that, hey, they can count on this person. They're not, maybe they're not the flashiest, but they're the steadiest we've got. Uh, I understand now. You'll hear uh, employers advertise. We're looking for employees. We'll start at this rate. You can work up to this rate. All we need is for you to show up. And and we need and ch- churches and God's people ought to say, "Hey, we we've been that way. That's that's our attitude. Has been our attitude." And I see that in a lot of the young people we have here. By the way, uh, as I've been around them in, in work uh, situations, so. Masters given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven, and that ends this section, and it changes tone in verse number two. Continue in prayer, but the workplace we ought to be the most trustworthy, the most productive employees. We ought to do it when the boss is looking, and when the boss isn't looking, you ought to just do your job, do your job, do your job. When I worked at the phone company, I worked with a guy. Uh, He, they they called him one name, but I never did figure out why, because it wasn't anything to do with his real name, but I just let that go. But he was the fastest worker in the entire work center. And so I was out working with him one day, and I thought, well, I'm going to see if I can work as fast as he does. So I speeded up, (laughs) spicing wires, you know. And I looked over there, and he, was, he had picked up. He was doing more. He had like four pairs thung through his fingers at the same time and squeezing these caps on them. And I was doing two, so I tried to do three. And after a while, I finally said, hey, I'm not going to be able to beat you. He said, no. He said, I'm still just idling along. He said, no matter how fast you go, I can go faster. And I asked him this question. I said, then why don't you do it all the time? The company, the company makes more money that way, and the more money the company makes, the more they can pay the employees. That's the way I always looked at it. I, I never looked at it as being a company man or a, or a scab or whatever you might want to call them. I just looked at it, hey, if I can make my boss more money, then he can pay me more money. And this was his answer. I don't get paid any more for doing it any faster. And so uh, I was making the same money he was making because I was topped out by union scale, and he said, I don't get paid extra for working more, so I'm not going to work more. I think that's the wrong attitude. I think that's the wrong attitude. He ought to have been trying to pass on to all of us his tricks of the trade. He taught me a few, but he said, I'm still going to outdo you. You're not going to be able to keep up. So I'd, I did the best I could do and, and just realized that I wasn't a number one on the, on the totem pole where that went. But we ought to be the most productive. We ought to view our job. I realize this is practical, you know, but we ought to view our job as service to Christ. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, the Bible tells us. And here, you know, we work on staff here at church, whether it's cleaning, housekeeping staff, or Mother's Day Out staff, or pastoral staff, or office staff. We have the joy of being able to work mostly with safe folk. And I think we have a good environment here. But the fact of the matter is, all of us ought to view our job as service to Christ. And when you get a paycheck from First Baptist Church of Atoka, obviously you are serving the Lord, at least in in the ministries we have here. God will honor you for your faithfulness. You'll earn a reputation. You will earn a reputation among the people you work with and the people you work for. And they'll respect you for that. And when hard times come, if you've been a faithful witness, say a word for the Lord, God will open doors of opportunity for you that he would not have opened if you were a slacker on your job. You'll gain opportunities to witness. It may take months, perhaps even years, but the, the door will swing open. Again, when I worked for the phone company in South Carolina, we had went to work at 8 in the morning. And we were supposed to get a break somewhere around 10 but what almost all the cable splicers and linemen did was they got their jobs, got all their, the supplies for their jobs, got in their trucks, went out to their job site, set up like they were going to go to work, and then they went and got something to eat. And sometimes it's, you know, 8.30, quarter 9, 9 o'clock, and they're already down at the restaurant and sitting around for 35, 40 minutes or an hour. And I got tired of that. And so uh, I'd, I'd go on out to the job site, and I'd just go on to work. It, it, didn't, it didn't make some of them happy. My boss showed up one day said, where's everybody else? I said, you know where they're at. You used to do the same thing. They're down at the restaurant eating gravy and biscuits. And he said, well, what are you doing here? I said, just trying to do my job, buddy. Just trying to do my job. And I, that's not because I'm some special person, but I was driven to that because I felt like I was cheating my employer and I didn't want to do that. We'll gain opportunities. And I got some because of of how I lived. Uh, I got some blowback because of how I lived as well. Uh, But you're going to have that anyway. So I'd rather get blowback serving God than blowback not serving God. That's for sure. In chapter 4 and verse number 1, that word give means to render on your own part. I owe, so I'm going to respond. I'm going to give. People in this, in this day, in Bible times, got paid every day. Uh, and the reason they did is they just made a, just a working wage, and so they'd get paid their penny, and they would go buy food for the evening and the next day, and then they would work the next day till they could get another penny and go out and, and do the same thing. So uh, an employer had to pay every single day, and if he didn't, According to the book of James, if you remember, he talks about holding back wages and how that God would judge because of that. So masters, employers, bosses are supposed to give to their employees, excuse me, that which is just and equal. The idea of equal means fairness, but the idea behind it is this. Treat your employees the way that you would want to be treated if you were an employee. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. And closely mirrors the golden rule, doing to others as you'd have them do unto you. Employers are required to treat their employees with respect. Prompt pay, James chapter five and verse number four. Proper pay. You say, Well, you didn't you know, I'm only going to give you a half a penny today, or gonna to, only gonna give you this. It ought to be proper pay. You find that also in James chapter number five. Verses 2, 3, and 5. No class warfare. Uh, I despise class warfare. Where people say, well, this guy makes so much money, that's not fair. It may not be, but it's not affecting you. The fact that, that George Soros has got billions does not affect me financially. He may be trying to influence the government. But as far as him in, 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 his money, doesn't affect my money. Bill Gates, same way. Bill Gates got all these billions of dollars. So what? We're not supposed to be mad at them because they've got a lot of money. If they've cheated, God will deal with them. But this class warfare that you see hyped up by some politicians is, is wrong. It's wicked. We're not supposed to have that kind of attitude towards others who have been more blessed financially than, than we have. And in the United States of America, you can just about be anything you want to be, anything you're willing to work hard at. You can learn and, and get a job doing and, and move forward in your life. And, it's, and if you don't have an, enough money, it's not because somebody else has got more money. That's, that's just a wicked idea uh, all the way around the, the, the edges of it. Continue in prayer, verse number 2. Continue in prayer. We're shifting gears. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man, And from here, he goes into personal statements, and we'll deal with some of those in just a moment. God hates laziness. You know that? It's one of the things he hates. It's in the book of Proverbs. So we ought to avoid that in our life by all means. A guy named Lightfoot said this. It's a pretty good statement. Long continuance in prayer is apt to produce listlessness. Hence, the additional charge that the heart must be awake if the prayers have any value. We're not blessed for the length of our prayers, we're blessed for the intensity of our prayers. How fervent are we? And if God allows you to pray fervently for an hour or two hours, I'm for you 100%. But if you just pray and you're just mumbling words and saying things and drifting here and drifting there, that's, that's not real good praying. Not sure it honors the Lord like we want it to and Let's admit it, we struggle to pray. I asked the Lord today, why is it, Lord, that we're just so prone to let prayer slide by us? And yet prayer is so important. The God of the universe made a way for us to communicate with Him. We can just close our eyes by our head, or even if you're driving and you can't close your eyes, please don't, if you're driving. We can talk to the God that made us. We can talk to the God that made this universe. He's made the way open for us to have access to Him, and we ought to treasure that. Continuing prayer means to give uh, constant attention, unremitting care to, to be constant readiness for. Uh, you know, when the Bible talks about to pray without ceasing, well, obviously you can't pray 24 hours a day, but the idea there is that a prayer is ever on your lips as you uh, go out to get something to eat and you sit down at the, the table or you sit down in a restaurant, wherever you may be, and you bow your head and you, you ask God's blessing over the food. And then as you get back to work you thank God for His goodness and safety. And, and maybe just during the day as things are going on, Lord, I need help with this. I'm struggling with this particular task. Or Lord, my children are having a hard time at school with a certain course they're taking. and And so we we live constantly in, in the atmosphere of prayer. That's the idea that's involved there. Watch to give strict attention to, to be active. In First Thessalonians 5, 17 is where you see that verse, pray without ceasing. We're to guard against some sudden calamity overtaking us. That's the idea of watching. Um, the enemy that we have is called Satan. But he's not our only enemy. He's our worst enemy. But we have a flesh nature that we would like to think we've buried deeply, but it's probably not that far below the surface. And then there's a world that tries to draw and attract us. And doesn't it seem like uh, when you're struggling to to live for the Lord, you've been praying and and you're reading your Bible. Isn't it amazing how uh, something will jump up worldly-wise that... pulls at the at the right point on your life to try to pull you back away from God Uh, that's the mystery of iniquity that doth already work it seems like the devil he can't read our minds but he can sure read our actions and he's a pretty good judge of human character except when he starts talking about Christians he didn't do too good with Job did he he said he'll curse you to your face God well guess what he didn't do that with all at the same, is at the same time. Read that down there with me. With all praying for us. Now we're supposed to continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is mentioned in praying in, in Philippians chapter 4 as well. With all praying also for us. And at the same time is what he means. At the same time praying. We're to be praying as Paul admonished the Colossian believers for a door of opening, a door of admission for the gospel, an opportunity to preach. Now, Paul was in bonds. You'll see that there in verse number 3, that God would open a door of utterance unto us to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in bonds. He was chained to a Roman guard. Uh, You can chain the preacher, but you can't chain the Holy Spirit. Uh, God goes where He wants to go. And so in this situation... The idea is for you and I to be praying today for God to open doors for our missionaries, uh, for God to uh, give us open doors to witness. Uh, Brother Gordon Horton up in Canada, Canada's a cold country, not just physically, but spiritually. It's a cold country. Um, he has taken to being involved with a World War II reenactment group. And they've made him chaplain and all that stuff. And he's gotten involved, he got a uniform, and he goes out to their the things that they do. And they're starting to have those men and their families visit the church. He's been able to work with some of them spiritually and, and other problems in their life just because he's joined himself up with that. That's, now, that's an unusual door. I mean, it's not the norm that you would, I don't want every missionary doing that. But it's worked very well for Brother Gordon up there in Canada. And it's it's just kicked the door wide open for him to have a ministry to a group of men that he would never have reached any other way. And so we pray that God will open doors. And listen, our missionaries don't have to do things exactly the same way we do. As a matter of fact, they don't. Uh, You know, we give an altar call here at church. And I try to encourage people to come to the altar and pray or to pray where they're standing. But when I visited Brother Ed Hembry, and we were hearing reports in the late 80s, 89, 90, and on up, that we were hearing reports of dozens and sometimes hundreds of Romanians being converted at the same time. They'd fill up a football stadium. Of course, that's soccer to them. And they'd have a preacher there and preach the gospel and say, if you want to be saved, come forward and we'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved. The stands would empty out. But what they found out was those people were used to doing whatever a preacher said to do. They were used to doing whatever a priest said to do. And so if you told them to go stand against that wall, if you want to go to heaven, they'd all go over and stand against that wall. And so they had to change their methodology. Invitations are a method, not a doctrine. The doctrine of drawing the net, that's a doctrine. The doctrine of, of trying to get people to come to Christ, yes. But how you do that is different. And so what they started doing in Romania was they'd preach the gospel and say, if you want to know more about this or you're interested, we're going to dismiss everybody else and you just stay behind. Well, it got a lot less people staying behind, but they began to win those folks to Christ to save the knowledge of the Lord. I'm for that. Their, their method differs from ours. But the doctrine of inviting sinners to Christ is is still the same. It's, it's the main thing. So we want to pray for God to open doors. And if somebody hadn't figured that out, hadn't said, wait a minute, this isn't right. These people are flooding these altars and nothing's changing, nothing's happen, happening, then uh, that would have been a bad thing. So I'm glad that the Lord opened their eyes and helped them see the right thing to do. So pray at the same time for the gospel to go forth. We want to pray for our church, we want to pray for our missionaries. We want to pray for our soul winners here. The Lord to use them. Our God is the God of the open door. That's what Revelation chapter 3 says. He said, I put before you an open door and no man can shut it. You ain't got a whole lot of strength, but what strength you've got, I've opened a door for you to go forth. That's the Philadelphian church in the book of Revelation chapter 3. And I believe that's the church of the missionary movement. The Laodicean church is the church of liberalism and uh, lukewarmness. And if you'd seen some of the things I've seen recently, you'd understand why. For our Sunday school class, I played a, a little video of a preacher. They came walking in. It was really funny. He had a robe on and vestments and even something around his neck. And behind him, all the choir came walking in. They're wearing blue jeans and T-shirts, which, I mean, if that's what they want to do, is their business. But he got up there and he said, "I don't need a book where somebody talked to a serpent. I don't need a book where somebody walked on water. I don't." And he went on all these things. I don't need. He said, what I need to know is how important I am and how important you are. He just went on and on. I thought that man is preaching those folks straight into hell. That's false doctrine. But that's being propagated in our country. That wasn't some foreign country. That's the United States of America where that kind of stuff's going on. And so we want to pray for open doors to reach people with the truth. And those folks sat there and listening, probably thinking they were getting truth from a a man who was just lying. Very articulate, by the way. Very articulate, but he was just a liar. Our God's a God of the open door. (laughs) He cannot be limited by mere men and their puny governments and armies. They can line the armies up. Get on the borders of Russia, Iran, Iraq, wherever they want to get. So, we're going to keep God out of this place. I got news for you. You can't do it. Afghanistan and Pakistan have touted the fact that they have driven Christians out of their country. I know they haven't. I know a guy who goes there and visits with them. They got saved folk over there, whether the Taliban wants them to have it or not. You You can't lock God up and lock God out. He cannot be hindered by geographical issues. So some places are hard to get to. Difficult, you know, where the climate is such that maybe you and I couldn't, couldn't even exist in the, uh, the climate. But God cannot be hindered. Paul was bound by Roman control, Roman chains, but he had no fear of their power nor of their authority. The bonds that Paul was enduring limited him And he asked believers to pray for his release so that he could be increasingly effective. He wanted to be the maximum effective he could be. Let me give you a couple of verses to look at. Look over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And verse number 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Look in Second Corinthians chapter 2. 2, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to preach, uh, to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. So uh, Paul was not concerned about what Rome was saying. He wanted to go through the doors that God was opening, and he did not fear the government. Our God is the door-opening God. He's not only the God of the open door, He's the (laughs) door-opener. We should pray for this to be openly and gloriously done. And, of course, I uh, found out some years ago what God was doing in in Muslim countries. I was shocked. And then I was disappointed in myself that I was shocked. We ought to expect God to be doing things Uh, wherever people are. You can't lock God out. Well, he gives some more practical admonitions for the believers here in chapter number 4. As he talks about walking in wisdom and letting your speech be godly. Walk means to order your behavior. Uh, Walk worthy of the Lord, the book of Ephesians says. Uh, Them that are without are unbelievers. That's pretty, pretty obvious. And regardless of the excuses by professed believers about their Christian liberty... We are to consider how our actions and words might impact negatively on lost people. Some Christians are bent. I mean, they're just warped about their, their personal liberty, personal liberty, personal liberty. But they don't understand that personal liberty works on a double hinge situation. I can move forward and use my liberty or I can use my liberty to not move forward. And that's still exercising my liberty. To some people, exercising their liberty means they have to follow through on it regardless of what other people think. And I mean, I've dealt with that through the years. And our liberty is that we are not bound to uh, sin. Our liberty is that we are uh, not bound to have to do certain things in order to please men. Our liberty is that we are to please God in how we live, and then I need to make sure that how I'm living does not set a bad testimony for other folks. One of the things I've noticed on social media, especially X, is the number of professing Christians, people who will fire off about the things of God and say the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and I'm a Christian, da da who will turn around and use curse words. Now listen, this is how I feel about that. If you can't express yourself without cussing, your vocabulary is too small. You need to get a dictionary and pick up some new words. Learn how to communicate without using vulgarity, and it, it just amazes me. And then they wonder why people don't agree with them. Well, if you know, if the preacher got in the pulpit and cussed a little bit, I think I probably wouldn't agree with him either, on about anything. So we're supposed to use our liberty to make the best impression we can for Christ and then use our liberty not to offend our brother is what the Bible says. They must be wise in their relations with them so as not to give unbelievers an unfavorable impression of the gospel. Some folk got a negative opinion of the Bible already and nothing you say is going to change it. It'll take the the Lord to do it. They think we're all baptized in pickle juice and... We can't have any fun, and we're just trying to take all the joy out of life. We're just trying to take the pain out of life. Listen, it's a blessed thing to be able to go home after doing whatever you've been doing, whatever activity you've been involved in, put your head on your pillow and not have to worry. I did something wrong. Am I going? Are the, are the police going to come get me? What's going to happen? How's how's when you're in fellowship with God and and you you've removed the negative things out of your life, that makes life a lot more fun, a lot more enjoyable. He that will love life and see good days, let him uh, seek peace and ensue it. And what eschew evil? Eschew means to spit out. So as soon as you taste something and you see the evil of it, you spit it out. That's in First Peter chapter three. He says we ought to redeem the time in in our text of Scripture. Uh, Verse number 5, redeeming the time, that means to buy up the opportunities. We need to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. We need to be alert for opportune times to reach our family and friends with the gospel. If you have a loved one who's away from the Lord... Or let's say you have a loved one who is same sex. They're they're in a lesbian relationship or a sodomite male relationship. You don't have to tell them what you feel about what they're doing every time you see them. Uh, don't ever give them the idea that it's okay, but you can always let them know you love them. And eventually, there'll be some cracks and some openings, where you'll have an opportune time to present the gospel in a loving, compassionate way that will make an impact in their life. And let's face it, sometimes it takes years to win our families to the Lord. It would be nice if, you know, when they came out, one, two, three, we could just get them converted. They're about five years old, you know, all of them. But it, that's just not a reality. Listen, sometimes you're going to have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reach people. And so we need to make sure that we've been redeeming the time, buying it up, so that we'll be in the right spiritual condition to, to give that witness and speak that word. Loose-living Christians make good fodder for lost people to charge all believers with hypocrisy. I've been told that I'm a bunch of hypocrites down there in that church, and I said, well... The hypocrites in Krogers too. Do you go in there? And the fact of the matter is, there may be some hypocrites in church, but all of them are in hell, and so we don't want to go there. And the best way I know to avoid hell is come to church and hear the gospel and get saved. Matter of fact, that's the only way I know to avoid it. Verse number six. Verse number six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, uh, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man gracious speech, godly speech, so that none have to fear that you will speak out of turn or say something that's wrong, uh, hurtful or mean-spirited. We ought to leave the fragrance of Christ with every group we've been around. If you've been standing around talking with a group of men or a group of ladies or men and women, when you leave, there ought to be the fragrance of Christ left behind you because of the godliness of your speech. Seasoned with salt... Has the idea that we exclude corruption. Salt avoids corruption. As believers, we ought to be capable of defending or explaining our faith. You don't have to have a degree in theology to say, I found out I was a sinner. The Bible tells me that. And I believed it. And once I found out I was a sinner, I found out that Jesus died in my place on the cross and that Jesus came out of the grave. He didn't stay dead, that Jesus went back to heaven. And if I believe on him in my heart and trust him as my Lord and Savior, I'm saved. And you can be too. You don't have to be a theologian. But we're supposed to be able to give a systematic answer. And that systematic answer has to be the process of salvation. You can only tell how it worked in your life, but that gives the outline. That gives the the form of how God works with all sinners. Every sinner has to be convinced they're lost. If they don't think they're lost, they, they won't ever seek to be saved. Well, he gives us from the next several verses here, personal statements about his friends and supporters. Uh, the labor we put forth is never forgotten by our Lord. Isn't that good news? As we read these these men's names and what they did, a lot of that doesn't mean much to us. Tychicus, uh, you know, who's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord. I send unto him for you the same purpose that you might He might know your state and comfort your hearts. Onesimus, you remember him? That's from the book of Philemon. A faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, that they shall uh, make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas. Anybody know who he is? That's John Mark of Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, when he left Paul and Barnabas when they were on their missionary work, and that you turn forward to chapter number 15, and you find out that Paul and Barnabas had a contention so sharp between them, because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the trip with him, and Paul said, no, he left us, and so the contention became so sharp, Barnabas and John Mark went off one way, and Paul and Silas went off another. But here he is. Now you read about him in 2 Timothy too. Paul says, bring, bring John, bring Mark, John Mark. He's profitable to me for the ministry. So the labor we put forth is never forgotten by the Lord. Onesimus, same as in Philemon. Aristarchus was a dear follower and faithful man to uh, Paul. You find him in Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. You find him in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. You find him in Acts chapter 27 and verse 2. When Paul is sailing off to Rome... Aristarchus was there with him, so that's, he is pointed out. I've already mentioned to you John Mark, and you find that Acts 13, 13, and then Acts 15, 36 through 39. Then verse 12 and 13, Epaphras, he was introduced early in the book, but he is evidently from Colossae, and so Paul speaks of him, Epaphras, who who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician. We read about him in the book of Acts, don't we? Who's that next guy? What's that name? Got to say it louder than that. Demas. What happened to Demas. He loved this present world, and he left Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. All these are personal events. Paul had confidence in these men at this time. Paul had confidence in Demas up to the point that he deserted him. And then he talks about this epistle, that the church of the the Laodiceans. And likewise, you read the epistle from, from them, and they're going to read the epistle I've written you. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Maybe a young man who was stumbling a little bit, stung by the opposition, and it's easy to happen. The solution, excuse me, salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you all. I've never been locked up for preaching. I hope I never am. I wouldn't like that. I've been in prison uh, visiting prisoners and they slam them doors behind you. I want to tell you, that's a weird feeling when you know that you're in locked up in a place and you can't just walk over and turn the doorknob and get out. I cannot imagine how, what Paul felt. <coughs> but he didn't let it keep him from being excited about serving God and trusting the Lord. Let's be faithful to pray. Pray for open doors. If God, even if God doesn't give us the open door, He'll give it to somebody else. And let's keep our hearts in tune so that when we have some opportunities, and as Brother Steve said a while ago, it's, this time of year is it sometimes best time of year to talk to people because they're, they're, they're already talking about Christ. And it opens some doors. May the Lord use us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this section of Scripture we've read. And Lord, though we went through these personal things quickly, yet every one of these men is known to you. You knew what they did. You rewarded them. You told us you'd reward us if we'd be faithful. And Lord, all of us can be faithful. Give us grace to do so. And when we stumble and falter, Lord, I pray you'd send thy precious spirit to woo us and to draw us back to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.